Sorry, great song. Thank you. I love those. Uh, each one of those. So thank you for leading us uh, in that. Well, let's take a few moments to prepare our hearts and um, ask the Lord to give us understanding of his word, to hear his voice in his word. And um, so go ahead and take a few moments and then I'll open us up in a word of prayer. We do want to uh, behold your glory as we sang in that song. And all of those songs reflecting the heart of the redeemed and different aspects of your glory. And so we pray that as we read your word, as we hear your word, as we think about your word, that Holy Spirit, you would show us the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we ask even this morning that you would instruct us out of 1 Peter 4. 10 through 11, and how we are to exercise our spiritual gifts within the body. And we do thank you for this opportunity to gather and to obey that ordinance of the Lord's Supper and to celebrate and to remember and to proclaim our union with you, our sharing in the Holy Spirit, and our hope in a common Savior and promises of Scripture. And it is to the end that we would be encouraged to live consistent with our salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Open up your Bibles. First of all, I didn't say it. Mike said it, but happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. Uh, You know, I was thinking it's not exactly fair maybe. We did a message for mothers on Mother's Day, but I didn't think to do that on Father's Day. So maybe we have to rectify that at some point. But uh, happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers or grandfathers and grandparents or I don't think we have any great-grandparents yet, but uh, anyway, happy Father's Day. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. And as I mentioned, uh, we will be looking this morning at verses 10 through 11, verses 10 through 11. And the issue of spiritual gifts, the title is Stewarding God's Grace to His Glory, Stewarding God's Grace to His Glory. I don't work on cars. I used to think, uh, you might laugh at that now if anybody knows me, that it'd be really nice to have a hobby, to have an old car in the garage or something and to start fixing it up. Uh, But if you do work on cars, but I I have no desire to do that now. Uh, But if you do work on cars, you know that one of the dangers that you can uh, run in or when you might be aware that there's a problem is with uh, all the pieces that you took off, you didn't put back on. And you have something left over. It could be an important piece and it's there for a reason. And if it's not put in its proper place, then it affects how the car runs. It affects uh, the engine. If you ever gotten anything from Ikea, you don't have to admit it, uh, but we do. And you know you have these instructions. They're not always the most helpful. But anyway, if you're getting something with a lot of pieces together and it's missing a piece and you try to put it together, sometimes if you're halfway through and uh, your sanctification is tested... Uh, then you realize that, you know, you can't finish the project. It's not going to work as it should work if you don't have all of the pieces there. Anybody who has any kind of physical illness or limitation or if you had a limb amputated, somebody who would, they'd realize that while you can go on and there's all kinds of helps, you don't function as well as easily. Life is a little bit harder than if uh, you didn't have that limitation. 
And so there's many examples, and you know where this is going, that we need all of the pieces to work together that are designed for anything, for any particular object. A car needs all of its pieces. A shelf or a desk or whatever needs all of its pieces. The human body needs all of its pieces working together to be healthy and to be the best that it can be. And it's no different than the church. It's no different than those who God has called to himself through Christ by the Spirit who are united to Christ and form his body, his presence here on earth. That we together make up the body of Christ and each one has a part to play in that and the growth and the maturity and the health and the joy and the usefulness of God's purposes and missions here, mission here on earth. And so that's essentially what... Peter is directing us to here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Those spiritual gifts, those things that God has given us to serve him and to serve one another for the building up of the body of Christ to his glory. And it's so important that we understand this. And I I hope we're going to get all the way through this morning. I'll try to do it. But let's begin by reading the text and then we'll introduce it and look look at it a little more closely. Beginning in verse 10. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter here is giving his last exhortation or his last instructions on what it means to live in light of the end. That he, it really serves as a banner or heading over this section in verse 7. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. There is a summing up of God's purposes in this world. We are in those last days, the final age of this present dispensation until the return of Christ. And so as we consider that everything in this world that we experience is temporary and transient, he's encouraging us then how we should live, what we should make our priorities, what should define us as the people of God. And here are the last part of those instructions. He began with saying then that we living in light of the end should be those who think with sound judgment, those who are self-controlled in our thinking who are sober in our spirit, that we might pray aright, we might pray intelligently, we might pray diligently, we might pray with spiritual clarity of mind. We should be those who demonstrate a love for one another. Love is the lifeblood that flows through the body of Christ and through his people. It is the foundation of our unity. We should be hospitable to one another, which has as its basic idea, yes, having our home people into our home, but it is being generous with ourselves and with our lives and with everything that God has entrusted to us. And now he points us to the use of spiritual gifts. The use of spiritual gifts and how we are to steward them. And this is then his final word. And he's going to give us eight instructions regarding stewardship and the goal of God's grace in these gifts. Eight instructions. And so that's really going to be our outline of the way that we're going to approach this. But beforehand, I want to give a brief word on what is meant by a gift. As each one has received a gift. And some of you may have a special gift at the New American Standard. Uh, The idea is a unique gift, a gift given to in each individual. Uh, What is meant by this? Uh, The term is charisma. You're probably familiar with that. We get, we talk about a whole 
branch of Christianity, the charismatic movement. It comes from this idea, the charisma, speaking of the gifts of God. The basic idea of the term is something freely and generously given. Something freely and generously given by God. You're probably, by hearing that, aware of it's a root word, the idea of grace. The idea of grace. But here is a form of the word that speaks of something freely and generously given of God. And the broadest sense of the term can refer to everything we have from life, from the God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift that comes from Him. And there's a, there's a general sense in which the gifts of God include all of these things. Uh, what we, we have in life, our, our home, our health, our abilities, our opportunities, and so on and so forth. But the idea in reference to here and what God has given to His church for the purpose of building it up are what could be identified as spiritual gifts. And that is, a gift here is that capacity given to a believer that enables them uniquely to serve and build up the body of Christ. It's some kind of capacity given to each believer that enables them to serve others, and particularly Christians. It's a unique ability bestowed and designed for the building up, then, of the body of Christ. Why do we call them spiritual gifts? We call them spiritual gifts because they come from the Spirit. And that is, in fact, how Paul refers to them, don't turn there, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He says, as each one has received, or he says, now concerning spiritual, the implied gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. The idea there is he Uh, notes that this gift that we have is a unique working of the Holy Spirit and it has is is spiritual in its nature and spiritual in its goal and its intent. So that's the idea of a spiritual gift. So what does Peter then inform or teach us about these gifts? Well, number one is this. He says at the beginning of verse 10, as each one has received a special gift or each one has received a gift. And the first point is this, that spiritual gifts are universal. They're universal. Every Christian is gifted. Every Christian is spiritually gifted. They are universal. Just as each has received a gift. There is no such thing as a Christian. If you are a regenerate believer, you then are a spirit-indwelled believer, we hope, working to be a spirit-filled believer. But you are a spirit-indwelled believer. And if that is the case, then you have been given a spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. There is no Christian who does not have a spiritual gift. You as an individual are uniquely shaped and supplied and prepared by God himself to serve him in his church. And there's a way to serve that is unique to you. Where you are, how you're wired, the things that he has given you in terms of opportunities and abilities, they are specifically tailored to you to serve him in the church. No one is an There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. This is implied, actually, coming at it from another direction in Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. When he says this, that we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. Created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is then coming at it from that direction. It is to say that God has good works for every single Christian to do that he has prepared and designed them to fulfill that is for them alone. And God has prepared that before the foundation of the world. 
So every believer has a spiritual gift. As each one has received, no one is excluded. And there are particular good works, particular ways in which we are to do good to others, particularly the body of Christ, that God has designed uniquely for us. There are needs within the body, areas of service, discipleship, whatever, that have been prepared by God for you, for you. And the corollary reality to this is then that the spiritual health of the body is dependent on each Christian's faithfulness and obedience to the Lord to serve. If you are a part of the body, you make up then the body of Christ. You, are, you cannot be excluded from it. And as a member of the body of Christ, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, you have a part to play for its health. I'm going to just read to you a couple of passages. We're going to, we're going to try to hit these eight points. If I can get through all of them, I, I will. I don't want to rush, but I do want to go quick enough to kind of give the big picture. But let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 4. You're familiar with this passage. He says at the beginning of this part here in chapter 4 that Christ in his resurrection ascended to the Father and in his ascension to the Father he has as that victorious one, that one who has won the victory over sin, death, and hell, and the devil has bestowed on his church gifts. He's bestowed on them gifts. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In other words, we are the body of Christ. Every member of the body of Christ is a part of that body and responsible to contribute to the building up of the body, to the building up of other Christians, to the building up of the church. He does single out here in verse 11 those who have unique teaching and speaking gifts, but those gifts are not isolated to God's goodness to the church. They are merely the gifts that God has assigned among other gifts to equip the saints for the work of service. And there is the universal principle there in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. The work of service that God has called every saint to fulfill. To build up the body of Christ. And he wraps that up in verse 16. Saying the whole body is fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. As the New American translate that. According to the proper working of each individual part. So there is no one who is not gifted and no one who is unimportant in the work of the maturing of the body of Christ. And the key theological reality behind this is what we celebrate this morning in the Lord's table, isn't it? When we take these elements of bread, when we drink the wine, 
we are identifying ourselves as the presence of Christ here on earth, as those who are in union with him, those who have placed our faith in him, those who have his Holy Spirit, those who call on the same Father, those who have the same Lord, those who are indwelled by the same Spirit, those who have the same hope, those who have the same baptism, those who have the same Lord. We are identifying ourselves in these elements as the body of Christ. And comprising this body, we then are corporately together those who are enabled and called and gifted by God to serve. And so the key idea here is this, then, in terms of the theology. Though we are one body in Christ, we are made up of many members. There is the diversity of the members of the body, but there is the singular body. I just note here that one body does not mean absolute uniformity, but rather complete unity. And our lives are intertwined with one another under the headship of Christ in a way that there's nothing that we can do as an individual Christian that does not bear on and affect another Christian. Nothing that you can do as an individual Christian that, that does not have some kind of bearing or some kind of effect on other Christians. It just can't happen. We're intertwined in such an intimate way. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 12. Just listen. He says, For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. If you are a Christian, you can't escape that fact. Your life is intertwined with every other believer and intertwined in a unique way, specifically within a local church and within the body. But really with the universal body, but specifically even within a local body. We are members of one another. That cannot be said in any other sphere and realm of life as it is said in the church. We have a spiritual unity, a spiritual connectedness that makes us one one people, and nothing we do then can be separated from in terms of its effect on others. Let me just read this. We're not going to discuss it. I just want to read it and let the, the face value of it just enter into our ears. You're well familiar with it, but listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12. But one in the same spirit works all these things. This is the variety of gifts, distributing to each one individually. Again, there's the universality of the spiritual giftedness. Each one individually has been given something by the Spirit to serve, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. That is the Spirit baptism. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part of a body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member... Where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, 
I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And that's exactly the, the point here that's being made by Peter. Is that Each one of you has received a special gift. Each one of you in this church has received a capacity and opportunities and abilities to serve the body. Each one is equally as important in the building up and the growth and the maturity of that body. And every action of one member of that body affects every other member of that body. We are one. We are together. We cannot escape it. We are united in Christ. And so the... The important point here then of the application of that is that if you are a Christian, you need to be involved in the life of the body. If you are a Christian, you need to be involved in the life of the body. We'll come back to this again later. If you are a Christian and you are not somehow involved in the building up of the saints or somehow involved in the using of whatever ability that you might have, whatever opportunity you might have to serve others, then you are to that degree robbing and taking away from other Christians and from the health of the body. If you are a Christian, you are gifted by God. The question is, are you using that gift for its intended purpose? So that's the first point. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another. The second is this. That spiritual gifts are a matter of grace. The first is that spiritual gifts are universal. The second is that spiritual gifts are a matter of grace. And they are to be exercised with humility. They are to be exercised with humility. He says, as each one has received a special gift. It is something received. And this is so important to grasp. Whatever gift you have is not from the fullness of your own abilities, nor is it a result of your own application of effort, nor is it based on some superior, inherently superior quality within the individual. It is something that is received by God. Now, this does not mean, however, that spiritual gifts aren't honed, that some people don't work harder than others. It doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact... You remember Paul who said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So he recognized he had received the grace of apostleship. He recognized that his working out of that grace of apostleship was one marked by much labor, even more than others. And yet at the end of the day, even in his labor and expenditure of his own energy and sacrifice, he saw that it was not his power and his working that brought that about. It was, in fact, the working of God. And so it is important to grasp that. Whatever gift you have is something that you've received. And even in the diligent working out of it, there is that basic understanding that you are merely demonstrating 
and using something that you received as a gift. It is to say that the basic spiritual capacity for service is something that God gave to you freely. And so the source is God and not you and it's not me. It is him. And so as Paul appoints at the end, it is to him be the glory. Now, this is the same thing that Paul had to address uh, to the Corinthians who tended to, to see themselves in terms of comparison with one another and some taking on an attitude of superiority, who they aligned with, what kind of teacher, what their gifts were. And Paul addresses this and he says uh, in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 4, For who regards you as superior? And what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The idea of boasting and the, and the working out of our spiritual gift, they are opposed to one another. That means that when you exercise your gift, it's exercised in humility. And again, all service is done in humility. It means this then, that internally in the use of your gift, we recognize that it's something received and we never entertain the thought or even entertain that internal secret sort of hidden self-perception that considers our giftedness and our use of a gift as a matter of personal value, preeminence, superior usefulness, but as faithfulness to the Lord and what he's entrusted to us. That's the idea. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. If you have a, because you have a spiritual gift, it is something that you have received from the Lord. And it is to be exercised in humility. One gift is not more valuable than the other gift. That's what Paul said. We bestow more abundant honor on that that seems to have less honor in 1 Corinthians 12. Why? Because there's a natural honor with certain gifts. If someone is a teacher, if someone is in, in any capacity in front of people, there's a natural kind of honor that comes to that. But Paul wants to be careful that there be no division in the body in 1 Corinthians 12 and says then we need to bestow more abundant honor on those who have gifts that aren't as showy, that aren't as obvious. That means then that we need to, in humility, appreciate every gift and every gifting of every believer as equal of value and equal of honor as any other gift. Each one is important. Each one is designed by God to serve his purposes. Each one has the same purpose of glorifying him. And we will be evaluated on that basis. We'll be evaluated on that basis. Listen again to Paul to the Corinthians. Just emphasizing here the attitude. What then is Apollos in chapter 3 verse 5? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, I, like a wise master builder, laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds. And he goes on to say that one's work will be silver and gold and precious stones and another's wood, hay and stubble. And the quality of each man's work will be revealed on the last day at the time of judgment. And if any man's work remains, he will receive a reward. If it's burned up, 
he will suffer loss. What is the basic point there? Simply this. Here is an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who had special revelations from God, one who was uniquely called out by God to be the voice of the gospel to the Gentile world, though the door was opened up by Peter. It was Paul who was sent through that door to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. We are a fruit of the work of the apostle Paul. And yet when he looked at himself, he saw no reason for self-congratulations. He saw no reason for seeing any particular merit, virtue, ability, or anything in himself, he saw each, even though his role was as an apostle, as equal importance, everyone in the body, and knew that he would be judged not on the quantity of what he did, but rather the spiritual quality of what he offered to the Lord, namely humble service. And so it is for us. Whatever gift you have, whether it be little or whether it be great, whether it be showy or whether it be secret or silent, each is of equal value and is to be exercised in humility, which is to say a kind of self-forgetfulness. A kind of self-forgetfulness. A kind of attitude in which you're not even in the equation. You're merely consumed with how you're being faithful to the Lord and how your faithfulness is being of service to someone else. It doesn't mean that there's not a proper gratitude for others for faithful service. You give honor to whom honor is due. But it means when we perceive ourselves and whatever gift we have, it is to be done with humility. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are for the purpose of edification. They are universal. That means you need to be serving. If you are a Christian, you have a gift. They are received. That means it is to be exercised in humility. And the goal of it is to, and the purpose is for edification. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. It's for the building up of others and not ourselves. A gift is something received, again, from God. And this is, then, a reflection of the very life of Christ in us, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the attitude reflected again in the Apostle Paul. Again, one of the most used and exalted servants of the church. He is one of the most gifted human beings that's ever walked the face of the earth in the new covenant. Called to this uniquely special role within the new covenant purposes of God. Who's given to us many books of the New Testament. And yet when Paul, when Paul viewed his giftedness, when he viewed even the authority that came with his position... The attitude was such that it was to serve others. It was never a personal authority. It was never something that he had for his personal advancement. So he said again to the Corinthians, even in the midst of having to confront their sin, he says this, I do not seek what is yours. Listen to his heart. But you. I do not seek what is yours, but you. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your soul's For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. It's out of 2 Corinthians 12 through 13. It's not a false kind of humility. Paul didn't deny his giftedness. He didn't deny what God called him to. He didn't deny that he was a wise master builder. He didn't deny that he had authority as apostle. But what he did is that all of those things were not given for me, for Paul's glory, as though all things were from him, through him, and to him, but they were given for the purpose of serving others. 
He did not deny the authority of his apostleship, but fully understood that it was only for the purpose that he might build up others in the body. So our spiritual giftedness is with humility, and that humility thirdly directs us to realize that whatever we have is meant for the service of others. It's not for you. And again, that means that if we're not serving in the church, then what God has given us for the building up of someone else, they are not being built up. They're not receiving the fruit and the purpose for which God has gifted us. You could even say this then. If we're not serving in the church... If we're not exercising our spiritual giftedness, we are robbing someone of a blessing that God intended for them. We're taking it away from them. We're robbing them of it. And that's not walking in love. That's not walking in love. If you have a spiritual gift, the reason you have that gift is to use it to serve another person. It's a service mentality that reflects the heart of Christ. Even that was demonstrated in his giving his life up for us. Number four, spiritual gifts are possessed then as a stewardship. That means then whatever spiritual gift we have, we are both responsible to use it and we are accountable for its use. Look at what he says again. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Good stewards. From a term that means a house manager often. It can be used in other ways. But it's a house manager. One has defined it this way. As one who has the authority and responsibility for something. Somebody who has the authority and the responsibility or something. That means what God has given to us. He has given to us as a gift. The gift being that we might serve others. And we are held accountable for that service. So he says in 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is found or it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. That's the idea of responsibility. What does God require us in the use of our gifts as steward is that you be found trustworthy to use and expend what he has given for his intended purpose. Which again is to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Our gifts are not ours to do with as we please. According to our own direction, our own limitations, our own conveniences, they belong to someone else. We are stewards and not owners. That means then to ever say, well, I'm just not very gifted. I just don't know what I can do. There's not much. I don't have this skill. I don't have that ability. And therefore, I'm not going to use it. That is to deny God's gift. That is to deny God's own exhortation to you. And it is to take away. That's not a right thought. The New Testament won't allow that. God won't allow that. You may have a gift that is lesser. You may have a calling of God to serve in some way that isn't as showy. It may even go unnoticed. Maybe only you and the Lord know it. But it is an act of service. It is a good work that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in it. And we need to be faithful to it. And not be discouraged because it actually... That sometimes... Uh, can be a, a matter of pride. And pride in this way. Well, you know, I'm not really that interested in exercising my gift if I'm not going to receive more glory for it. You know, if, I, if it's not going to be one of those showy things, I'm not as motivated for it. And sometimes that can be the case. But sometimes it can just be that someone, you know, sees other people and they just, they don't really see what kind of usefulness they could have. 
And they really do feel that way. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you may not know what usefulness you have, and it may not seem like much to you, but whatever you do is what God has given to you, and so you exercise it faithfully as a steward of that gift, as one who's responsible for it, and you trust God with the results. You trust God. God only requires of you that you be found faithful. He doesn't require you that your gift have a certain result to it. He doesn't require of you any, anything other than that you are faithful to what he has entrusted to you. That's the only thing that he requires. It also means this then, that we are accountable for our use of gifts. Paul's already addressed that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But a steward is also accountable to the one who gave him the things to steward. Who gave him the property to manage. It's not his property. It's not his house. It's not his goods. He was entrusted with them so that the owner might gain increase. We're familiar with this in the parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, you're familiar with the parable of the talents. That actually where we get our word English when we talk about a talent. Somebody has a talent. It actually derives here from this parable. But here he has these talents and he says the man goes on a journey. He called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. That's the idea of stewardship. That's the idea of stewardship. He entrusted these possessions. He, was, he gave them to do to manage while he was away. There was one who received five talents. He went and traded them and gave five more. In the same manner, one who had received two gained two. And one who had received one went and hid his master's money in the ground. Now, each one had received the five or the two or the one, as he says earlier, based on the ability of the individual. We don't each have the same kind of giftedness. We're not each called to the same ministry. It's based on the ability as God has designed you and as God has called you and God has called me. And so he says here that he goes away and this master in going away is expecting that those to whom he had trusted his possessions would be good and faithful stewards of what he had given to them. And so when he came back, what he expected from them was faithfulness, trustworthiness, that he in fact had made a wise decision in giving them this opportunity. After a long time, the master of the slaves came and he settled accounts with them. They had the responsibility to steward well what was entrusted to them, and they were accountable to the kind of stewardship they gave to what was entrusted to them. And so the master returns, and he settled account. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master." The same thing happened with the one who had two talents. He gained two more. And the master said, enter into the joy of your master. And then he came to the one who had one talent. And this slave made an excuse. I knew that you would be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has more shall be given to him and he will have abundance. But from the one who does not have even what he does not have, 
or even what he does have, shall be taken away. And that slave was cast out into a place of judgment. And so the point simply is here, that God has given us a stewardship. He has given us a responsibility. He has entrusted to us a certain ability and opportunities and a calling that we are responsible to use for his glory. He evaluates us only on this measure. Were we faithful to what he had entrusted to us? Were we faithful to what he entrusted to us? That's the only measure that he has. It's not the measure of the gift. It's not the evident fruitfulness of the gift, but it's the heart attitude of the one to whom it was entrusted. This is said in many ways. I won't belabor this, but let me mention to you uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Peter Paul says this, that we are looking towards the resurrection, that we are living our lives in a manner that we might please him. And then he says in verse 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, he says, we persuade men. So we are stewards, and we have to remember that we have been given a gift. We've been entrusted by God to, for good works, to serve him in a way that he's uniquely designed for you to serve. And you have the responsibility, and I have the responsibility, to do the most with what we have, and then remember that we are responsible to him. One day, each one of you here in this room who knows Christ will stand before him, the Lord in all of his resurrected glory, and he will say, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? What did you do? What did you do? What was your heart attitude? What was the manner in which you exercised and served my body? I gave you the unique opportunity to serve my body. That's so un-American. The whole idea that we have in our culture is that whatever I have is for the advancement of me. It's for my own building up. It's the building up of my own kingdom. But the gospel reverses all of that. In the kingdom of God, it's exactly the opposite. Everything we have is actually for others. And as we give ourselves away for the service of others to the service of Christ, we actually receive our reward that way. Not by seeking it, but by giving it. And so Christ will evaluate us based on how well we did that. Number five. Spiritual gifts are to be delighted in for their variety. And the differences are the beauty and the usefulness of them. Look again at verse Peter. He says, As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. The differences and the uniqueness of each individual are the beauty or is the beauty of the body of Christ. And the spiritual giftedness. The beauty of the church is in our unity in the face of such diversity. And again, unity and uniformity are not the same things. There's not exact uniformity as though everything were bland, as though personalities and giftedness and ability and all all these other things were just washed out in the gospel. No, there's a great variety that we bring. There's a great experience that we bring, a greater variety of spiritual gifts. And it is that variety that brings a certain kind of luster and beauty to the unity that we share in Christ. If every painting consisted of only one color, or every tapestry of only one thread, they would be quite boring and uninteresting to look at. Look at this. There's blue. There's red. There's yellow. You'd get kind of tired of that if you went to a museum and saw only that. 
But it's the variety of colors and material woven together in a design and pattern that with each contribution the part each part makes, when put together, creates a beautiful picture designed by the artist. God is the artist of his church. Christ is the picture. And the Holy Spirit is the movement of the brushes and the weaving of the threads. We are the threads and the colors and each unique and each part of something bigger than ourselves and each called to fulfill a perfect particular role. And as God weaves us and as he moves us to paint this picture, we are by what we contribute to the overall goal a part of that beautiful work of art that is to be in the image of Jesus Christ. And our giftedness works towards that image. We work towards that end. And it is the difference of each one that supplies what God needs, what the artist, the master artist needs. The beautiful unity of the picture is the product of the variety of each individual wisely placed. And again, that's why Paul uses the illustration of the body and says each part Each proper functioning of the body is what gives the beauty of its form, the efficiency of its effort, its wholeness, and its health. If any part isn't working, then the body suffers. If one member is extracted, then it affects the whole body. And again, put another way, if one Christian does not exercise their giftedness of service in the church, then the whole church suffers. Now this work of the Spirit includes the ways that he is given to each individual different skills, different desires, different abilities, different opportunities. All of this works together along with that spiritual capacity of service that God has given. He's given different experiences and different desires that suit each of us as individuals and for our area of service. An example of this can be seen, in fact, in the tabernacle. This is, a, this is a good illustration. If you remember when God called out Israel and called out Moses uh, out from the land of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, led them to Mount Sinai. There on Mount Sinai, they received the law and they received the instructions for the tabernacle of God. Later would be the temple, but the tabernacle of God until they were settled in their land, essentially. And here in this tabernacle of God, God gave these detailed instructions about how this was to be put together, how God's people were to meet with him, what the clothing was to look like, what the objects were to look like, what materials they were to be made out of, what the function and the use of each one of the objects within the temple was, what each individual had been called to within those who were involved with the temple, the Levites and so forth. And so God had given them very specific instructions. And we have this really beautiful account here then in the book of Exodus during this whole time, this, this many uh, indications of the work of the Spirit in which he was the one behind each of the skills and each of the abilities and each of the experiences of all of those who contributed to the construction of the temple. Listen to what he says and let me just read a few verses. Exodus 28, he says, verse 2, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Verse 3, you shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom and that they will make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister as priest to me. In other words, God says, I've skilled, I've gifted, I've enabled, I've prepared certain individuals to put this together that will be for the beauty of the temple and for my glory. He says again in Exodus 
31, verse 3. He says, beginning of verse 2, See that I have called by name Bezalel and the son of Uri, the son of Hur and from the, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. He says in verse, or chapter 35, verse 21, Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. All whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets and all articles of gold. And so did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who had what the Lord needed to construct the temple. And as these things came in, that who God called to put it together, he says in verse 31, and he, being God there, has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all craftsmanship. And the parallel is simply this. God had called them out in a way to uniquely honor him as his people. It's how they met with him. It's how they expressed their, their worship. It's how he exercised his will among his people. And in doing so, the spirit of God was moving among them as a nation. Some participated by bringing articles that they had. Some participated in the actual labor. Some participated in the skill to design and to make what God had as beautiful. All of them were necessary to the construction of the tabernacle. All of them were necessary to the proper worship of God's people. All of them were necessary to God's will in working out his intentions for their worship and for their honoring of him. And there's really a beautiful picture there of how the spirit works in the church. We don't build a tabernacle, but we together as the body of Christ have all been given by the spirit this unique role, this manifold grace of God. This manifold grace of God, varied, it's different, it's unique, it's, it's uh, varied in all of its manifestations, but all of that working together to promote the worship of God's people, the maturing of God's people, to display the beautiful unity of God's people. All of it working together. Some could say, well, I don't know what I can do. All I have is this little brooch that I have. What is that going to do to the to the tabernacle and to the worship of God's people. I don't have the skill like the craftsmen. And God says, and the Spirit of God says no, and he moved upon the people to say, what you have, you give. And in their case, they even have an abundance more than they needed at that time. It's the fruit and it's the beauty of God's work among his people. Well, we're not going to finish these. I'm going to finish them next week, uh, uh, the last several, which are worthy enough to take on their own. And what I want to leave you with is here is this. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you by his Holy Spirit into union with Christ. He has given you a skill and an ability. He's given you some spiritual capacity to serve others. And if you're not actively seeking to serve others, and we'll talk about that in more detail next week, But if you're not actively seeking as your heart intention to somehow be used of God to the building up of the body of Christ, again, that could be, it could be serving in some capacity with a skill. It can be an encouraging word. It could be seeing a need and meeting it. It could be teaching. It could be any kind of thing of discipleship, any part of discipleship. 
Whatever it is, it can be setting up a table. It can be seeing the needs of the facilities in the building. It could be seeing individual needs in people's lives and meeting them. It could be organizing something. There's all kinds of ways that God has uniquely designed you to serve. And you are a part of the body. And so the exhortation then is this. If you are not serving, then you are taking away from the health of God's people. You are robbing from other individuals. You are removing from them the blessing of your giftedness. And in doing that, there is a weakening of the body and there's a weakening of the testimony and there's a weakening of the joy and the strength and the righteousness and the beauty of what God has designed. And so the encouragement is to seek what God has called you to do. Again, we'll talk about that in more detail. How do we know what we're gifted in? How do we find what, how do we use what God has entrusted to us and so on? But I just want to encourage you to realize that you are a part of the body and God has given you a responsibility and a stewardship for which we will be accountable. And when you do, when you contribute what you can, there's beauty, there's health, there's joy, there's maturity, there's encouragement, there's comfort, there's strength. There's all of those things that our hearts do truly, truly desire. And as we come to the table this morning, as the men come forward, that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're picturing. We don't line up. Some churches have like the bread up front and then people line up. I've been to some of those. And, uh, you know, they intend well. I don't personally like that as much. It's too individual. It's too you taking your little piece of bread, you having your own little private community or communion with God, you doing your own little thing and you going up there and then you sitting down in your church, in the, your seat. But we don't do it that way. And the reason we don't do it that way is because it takes away from the picture of what God intended in the very sign itself, in the very sort of symbol itself. And that is that we are the one body of Christ. So we take the piece of bread and we eat it together. We take the cup of wine and we drink it together in unison And that shows then in pictures that's part of the pattern of showing how interconnected we are, not only with Christ, but with one another. And so I pray that the Spirit of God impresses that upon our hearts as we come to him this morning. So let me pray and the men will come forward and then hand out the elements. Our God, we thank you so, so much for the mercy of Christ, the washing of regeneration, the renewal by the Holy Spirit that we once were disobedient and foolish, hateful and hating one another. And yet you have shown us this great grace that has, that has not only forgiven us of our sin, but removed that heart from us and given us a new heart, empowered and motivated and prompted by the Holy Spirit in love in response to the grace we've received, who has been given by you, Holy Spirit, the opportunity and the ability to serve others, to be a part of your work in their life, to be a part of their encouragement, to be a part of their upbuilding, to be a part of your glory. Impress us with this sense and impress us with the great honor and the glory and the stewardship of this responsibility. Impress upon us the reality that what we have, we have received. And so it's done with humility. It's done with the kind of self-forgetfulness that's lost in the mere giving out what you have given to us for the good of another. Forgive us for our sins, for 
forever thinking that what we had was for our own glory, forever secretly entertaining those vain thoughts that enjoyed recognition for ourselves and did not immediately in our own affections point back to you with gratitude and thankfulness. Forgive us. Forgive us for not serving and using the ways that we could minister to others because of wrong thinking, because of any kind of manifestation of selfishness. Forgive us for this sin and call us, call us to that true expression of love and ministry and service to one another and use this ordinance that you have given to us as a means, as a prompting to that end as we think of the great grace and mercy that we've been shown to be called the body of Christ. And it is to that end that we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
body, for we all partake of the one bread. The singular bread is a symbol that we, or the bread that we have in our hand, is that unity that we share, the diversity and the unity that we have within that. And our unity is based on the Spirit of God, who unites us to Christ. And as we take this bread, we celebrate in that union, and we celebrate in that connectedness that we have with one another and with the Lord. And in doing so, we also proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's certainly always the warning that we come to the table confessing sin, and we have sin to confess, that we come recognizing that we don't want to in any way unworthily celebrate this ordinance. But at the other side, we also come encouraged and reminded of the great grace we received, and we realize that at the foot of the cross, we receive mercy, and we receive help. And in our ascended and risen Lord is at the right hand of the Father, we receive sympathy and grace in our time of need. And so we come with confidence. We come with confidence. And so in celebration of our salvation, we follow the instructions of the Apostle Peter, or Paul, who said, I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's together eat. And of course, we do this in remembrance. There's no special grace that comes to us through taking these symbols. There is merely the encouragement of faith as we remember the truths behind each one of them. And he says in the same way then that he also took the cup, the cup that is the new covenant in his blood. It is the new covenant which was purchased in all of the blessings of the promises of God that were purchased for us in the death and the resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. It is the new covenant in his blood. And he says, as often as you do this, as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's together. With that, we'll have John come up and lead us in a closing hymn and a closing prayer. If you would stand as we sing our closing hymn this morning, we're going to sing hymn number four.